Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to you from my studio in Dallas, Texas, each and every week. The one thing that I've learned from writing the You Need More Money book is how most people have this bizarre belief system towards money. I don't. My belief system is crystal clear and simple. I want more money, and I will do anything legal to get it. My guest today is an expert in financial literacy, as well as financial belief systems. She's a New York Times bestselling author, extremely difficult to be a New York Times bestselling author. Like Amazon bestselling author is like, you know, okay, a lot of people can do that. You're a New York Times bestselling author, you wrote something meaningful. I know that because I want to be one. Uh, she's also an acclaimed speaker and consultant. She's a TEDx presenter. She's a CPA. She's a certified financial planner, and she's also a mom. Welcome, Ellen Rogan, to the You Need More Money podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you saying that. I'm excited to have you because the primary concept, look, you know, the, the game of money is that of a game. And when we're playing games, one of the biggest things that has to be brought into the mix is mindset, whether it's sports or it's business, or it's money, it's health, right? It's all a mindset and a belief system. My life changed when I changed my belief system about five years ago. Um, tell me, Ellen, how did you get on this version? Obviously, you were a nuts and bolts financial literacy person. How did this pivot to belief system enter in? Right. So as a financial advisor for many, many, many years, I saw really early in my career that there was people that were very successful and it didn't necessarily correlate to being happy around money. Um, I also saw people that struggled all the time or worried, and it was not usually based in anything tactical. And I started to become very fascinated in our financial mindset about studying about abundance versus scarcity or your money personality. And I realized that that is one of the keys to having people not only be financially successful, but feel prosperous and happy in their lives. And it's so shocking to me after being in the financial services industry, as long as I have been, that it's people are still just talking about how you allocate your portfolio. Like that is the only important thing out there or what the fees are in your mutual fund. <laughs> not that they're unimportant, but not nearly import as important as what you think and believe about money. So I'd love to just move further on that direction in regards to the experience that you've seen. Cause here's the thing I tried to do when you need more money as the book, I tried to give people milestones. It's what I always wanted. Someone tell me, where am I? Am I on track? Am I off track? And I wasn't talking about like the dashboard from the financial planner. I wanted some, when am I out of broke? Like, when do I have enough money to spend a hundred grand on a car? When can I buy the second house? When do I think I have enough money to retire? And so as you were educating clients on that, what were these common mindsets, Ellen, that kept firing up? Was it fear? Was it over-optimism? Was it lack of earning? I mean, what are the traits that you were seeing with your clients? The thing that I see more than anything else is fear. Um, I've had people that have way more than enough money yeah. and they're constantly worried they don't have enough or they're worried they're going to um, lose it all. Um, I think back about Back in 2001, 2002, when it was now looks like a little recession compared to 2008, 2009, but it was big then. We had gone through all the 90s without really a downturn in the market. 
And I remember talking with a client who was freaking out about her money, so scared she was not going to be okay. And this is um, a woman that had two homes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you are <laughs> so far from not okay. I mean, like not okay is you have no roof over your head. You don't have health care for your kids. You don't have food. So um, in that mindset, the, the issue with that fear part of it as well is that when you're stuck in terror and fear, which can happen to all of us around money, you make terrible financial decisions. There was actually a study done, um, written about in a book called Scarcity, where the researchers looked at people in dire financial situations, really, really bad situations. And they found when there's that incredible fear and angst around money, their IQ actually dropped. Mm So how can you make a good decision if you're freaked out? Yeah, but yet we still, despite knowing all this, and even even as we get older, we get more transparent to our fear, right? We're, maybe when we're young, we don't, we're not self-actualized, we don't see it. But as we get older, we sort of understand, oh, I know I'm not doing that. I'm afraid to work out, right? I'm afraid to do right. that. But yet we still bury our heads on this topic of money. I see it in this poker game that I play second Tuesday uh, of, uh, of every month for the last 13 years, the same guys. And you can just look around the table and know who's got money and who doesn't have money. And it's this amazing sort of science exam every, every Tuesday where, where, you know, the guys who have money are very comfortable talking about money. They're happy to bring it up and talk about strategies and where they're putting it and all that sort of stuff. And then the guys in the middle who really are way behind but think they have money, you know, they want to keep up. They're like the little puppy who wants to keep up. And then the guys at the end who are way behind, some, some are much older than me, and they've pretty much given up. They're the guys who are like, uh, can I take your plate? I'll bring your plate to the kitchen, you know? <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's, it's really this, why are we so afraid of something that is so vital to all of us? Well, attitudes and beliefs about money start at an age much earlier than you could possibly imagine. So it's not like, oh, I'll think about this differently, um, kind of in the front part of your brain. It's said that we develop our unconscious beliefs sometime between conception and age seven, mm. many of our beliefs. And that's what's just playing in the background. Like it runs the show um, yeah. and we're yeah. not even aware of it. Mm. And so... It could be something that you saw or heard growing up around money yep. that you're not even um, awake to, that it's really operating your um, actions, your beliefs, and, and how you deal with money. So I talk about it in the book. I give what I call the litmus test. It's this one, three, five, ten formula, which gives people an idea of really you know what they're going to have or whether they're ahead or behind. But um, And then I also try to give some adjustment to, to, to data, which is when I graduated college in 1991 to be in the top 1% of earners, you needed to make 100 grand. Today, that number is 384,000, right? The money's moved and we're still chasing these old. And so many people think that 100 grand is a, you know, a decent chunk of change. And if you're making 50, it is, right? But the reality is it, you're way behind in, 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 in how the money's moved. So do you see a lot of people with a million bucks? In retirement? Do you see a lot of people with 10 million in retirement? Do you see a lot of people with a hundred in retirement? I mean, what do the numbers look like for someone with your insight? Well, it's, it's qualified the fact that as um, an advisor, there's a certain group of people that I work with and we, where we live has a certain group of people. Got it. Um, So I think it's important though. The real question is, do you have enough for you? Yeah. 
right? Because it's all about, it's not just about how much money you have. It's about what your lifestyle is, what's important to you and how you're spending your money. I have um, people that I work with that have millions and millions and millions of dollars and very few wants. Mm. And so they have way more than enough. And then of course, I've seen people over the years that make a huge amounts of money. They maybe they make a million dollars a year, but they spend close to that or more than that. Can we stay on that for a second? Because I, uh, why is it that some, I'm one of the things I'm so fascinated about is that someone can make a million dollars a year and have the confidence to spend it all. But I know that it happens a lot. I work with guys that make that kind of money in my office. And, um, you know, I watch them buying $275,000 boats and new, new this and new that and big houses and renovating the whole thing. And I'm saying to myself, I'm saying to myself man, I don't, I don't have the guts to spend like that. So is there a belief system or a trait that you've seen in people who are high earners and high spenders and not high savers? Well, it's interesting you use the word confidence to do that because to me, it might be insecurity that they have to have all this stuff around them. I mean, materialism, it's, and I'm not all about not having lovely things or having wonderful experiences, but when there's an over-focus on materialism or how I'm looking compared to someone else, there's probably something else underneath that. Like I have, I'm not a psychologist. I might play one on TV sometimes with my clients. But um, there's a lot more in play there than just kind of some logical thing. Mm. And you, and typically, see, it's funny how I use the word confidence, and yet I think uh, your pivot is that maybe it's lack of confidence. But I see someone very confident that says, I'll just be able to keep earning at this pace to keep the machine fed um, no matter what economic cycles and stuff. Whereas for me, I say to myself, oh man, I, you know, I have to be stacking and racking all the time. Maybe it's because of my perception as a business owner. I've seen three major economic downturns. I know what it's like to have and then go down the chicken and feathers existence of business sometimes. Um, but it, it, I, I, look, I, I look at that person and I don't want to be that person, but there's an element of me that actually, I have some admiration for that person. I'm like, boy, this guy's got some big cojones. So I love that you found the positive side of that versus my judgy side. Uh, They're just spending too much because that positive side is um, I'm always going to be okay, which my guess is you've moved more into after seeing what you've seen in your business. Yeah. And um, I know uh, I know how to earn. I've taught myself how to earn through good times or bad times. And I have incredible confidence in myself and my company's ability to generate income. Um, which, which is a confidence factor for sure. But for most of my career, I ran in scarcity, you know, let's not expand. Let's not do that. Let's be careful. Um, you know, are, are we on track? Are we off track to the budget? That would be a dumb decision. Why would we spend that kind of money? And now I operate on, you know, why wouldn't we do that? It's a very different belief system and mindset. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And, and seeing what's possible is a much better, you'll feel better, you'll be able to grow more. Sure. And if we're looking at having a little bit of benefit from that worry is that you are stacking money away. If something does change, maybe your enthusiasm for the business or some health thing or something with someone in your family, you've built that security that if you had to step out, be like, okay, I'm making a change. 
So without a little bit of concern or focus on the future, you know, if we go back to that example, that person's just spending, spending, thinking, oh, it'll always come in. They don't give themselves as many choices down the road. Mm -hmm. Great to be optimistic, um, but that balance there at a practical level is very important. I'd like to summarize what you just said, because the reality is reality. You're not going to be able to keep up at the necessarily in your 60s. You pr may or may not. I'm not judging here, but you're probably not going to be able to run at the pace that you are in your 30s and 40s. Right. So the idea that you can continue to be the generator of the tokens to feed the machine, um, that's probably a pretty naive mindset. And we need yeah, to Go ahead. In, in the world, changes around us. Yeah, I right. mean, I was um, listening to something this morning where someone was making the analogy between people starting to go with Netflix versus um, Blockbuster. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden, the world could change, and maybe you'll be able to adapt and be resilient, but it might not happen immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things we can't foresee. And my brother-in-law is the perfect example of that. He thought he was going to the doctor to get a shot and he gets diagnosed with stage four cancer. And, you know, yeah. all of our, all of our lives change, which, which is so fascinating to me uh, because there is this amazing hedge that so few people take advantage of called insurance, right? I mean, for a hundred bucks a month, my brother-in-law could have had 200 grand worth of term life insurance. Now, whether it's term or it's universal or whole, I have no connection to the insurance industry. I don't care. My point is, if you're busted broke for 50 bucks a month, which every broke person can afford, you could have $100,000 in term life insurance, and you just hedged the cheapest possible hedge to get your hands on 100 grand of something for your heirs if something happened to you. It's just, it's so unbelievable to me that people are so cavalier about this topic of money. Well, and what having insurance or an um emergency fund, I like to call it a solutions fund because it's a little bit more positive, but that cash cushion there or money set aside for retirement, what that does is when you know that's taken care of, you're um, able to reduce some of that worry because it's playing in the back. It's playing in the back of your head. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a will or you don't have your estate plan set up, you know, you know that, but that's the thing I see people procrastinating on all the time as well and so if you just take care of those things, tick and tie the things that are important to create financial responsibility and for your family, even if you're not doing it for yourself, mm -hmm. it helps lower the anxiety level. So what would be some of the things that you would you would suggest to this age group, Ellen? I'd love to play it. I call it the money game. If you don't mind, let's just play with me here, okay? Sure. So someone's in their 20s. They graduated from college. Let's just say they're a college graduate. They graduated from college and they're entering the workforce. What's the number one money suggestion you would give to this person? Great. I feel like I'm talking to my son who just graduated from college and <laughs> is entering the workforce. Um, 100% start putting money in your retirement plan. Mm -hmm. uh, 100% would be, if you can start with 10%, that would be ideal. So tell me, when you say retirement plan, do you mean a company sponsored or you just mean go out and get your own Roth go out and get your own form. What is the methodology for I that I would person? start with your company plan because it's easy. Because It's match. automatic. It comes right out of your paycheck. Mm -hmm. You very well may be working for a company that matches your contribution. Um, so the most you could put in, I would suggest that you do that because when you're young and that money 
compounds for all those years, it makes a huge difference yeah. versus if you wait that first 10 years yeah. and don't start saving till you're in your 30s. It's a massive concept for the audience. The problem is some of us uh, blew through the 20s and maybe the 30s and maybe some of the 40s. So we missed that massive benefit of compound interest. But now let's move to the 30s. This person has they have somewhat of an established career. They're now most likely married. Maybe they're just starting to have a family. They've just got the house. They're running on two cars, probably financed. Um, wh what money moves or suggestions must this person in the 30s be doing, Ellen? Well, um, if you're thinking about having children or you have them, clearly life insurance is super important. Um, we got life insurance before we had kids because we knew that was part of the plan. And you have to think if one of your income goes away, is the other person going to be all right financially? Mm -hmm. Disability insurance, hugely important, very expensive. Hopefully mm -hmm. you can get it through your employer. Mm -hmm. I always tell people if you um, have the option to buy more, buy more, uh, you are more likely in your 30s to get disabled than you are to die. Hmm. Happy statistic, hmm. <laughs> but important. Um, I would also get a will a will in place, even hmm. if you don't have a lot of assets. If you're thinking about having kids, you want to put down who would be that guardian or if you have them. I mean, I've seen people who've got kids who are 10, 11, 12, and they never put anything in place. And I think they're crazy. If something yeah. happens, you're going to let the courts decide who takes care of your children. Forget all your stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and I would also say if funding your child's education is important to you, then you should start saving for that. Uh, yeah, that's a good point because that number is going up at absurd rates of inflation. But uh, in, in the book, I reference someone in their 30s should have a 3x to their, net in, to their annual income. So if someone's making 100 grand, they should have a net income of somewhere around $300,000 in that 30 to 39 range, trying to give people an idea of where they should actually have some milestones or some goals. Because when I look at a lot of people um, in their 30s, they don't even have that. A net worth of, if, if they're making 100 grand, they do not have a net worth of 300,000 in their 30s. So they're already starting to feel the pressure of being behind. Mm -hmm. And that pressure is heavy. So now let's move to our 40s. Here's where it starts to get a little crazy. The machine needs tokens all the time, right? Maybe our spouse, I'm not using gender here, but it could go either direction. Maybe our spouse isn't working anymore. Maybe we're a stay-at-home dad or we're a stay-at-home mom. We're a one-income family now. We're in this career that we're starting to say is hard to change, right? I'm starting to get fearful about changing my career. But I now have the second house. It's big. And I now have the two nicer cars. And my wife wants the Louie. And I have to spend fifteen grand every time we go on spring break. What kind of money moves is this person supposed to be doing? Well, here's what I would say. Some of the same things are in the 30s. You want to make sure you have the right life insurance, you're saving in a retirement plan. And I think if you haven't done it in your 30s, if we go back to mindset a little bit, it's having a conversation of what's truly important to you, because then you can start to make decisions. Um, I love to recommend to people that they create a visual financial plan, like a prosperity, a prosperity picture, an image of all the things that are important to you and that you have shared goals because, you know, the, the why is really important. You know, it's not just about making a bunch of money. That's awesome. But what, who cares if you don't have a good why, mm -hmm. what do you want to do with it? Is it important for you to provide security for your family or yourself, or maybe have amazing experiences or cut out of the workforce when you're 50, yeah. which is really hard to do unless you've been an awesome saver. So 
if you haven't done it already to get really deeply intimate with your whys and what you want to create is incredibly important. This is the belief system that you talk about in your speaking, in your TEDx talk, and also in your book. Yeah, it's a big part of it. You know, our mind is an incredible tool. It's well established that mental rehearsal is an amazing tool. We know this from athletics, right? If you're a golfer or a tennis player, but it also works with your money as well. If you think about driving business, you know, if I want more business, I spend a lot of time picturing that ideal client, what I'm going to do for them, how I'm going to serve them. Really, really important. The manifestation of the visualization is so vital and it happens it, every single successful person I know that has achieved more than they ever dreamed is because they dreamed that they would achieve it. No clue how they're going to get it, but that the manifestation of the visualization. So help me money game. Last one here. I'm now in my fifties and I'm, I, I'm behind and I've led a little bit of a facade. The people, my friends don't know that I'm behind, even though most of my friends are behind too. Right. Um, my wife's my wife has led a nice life. The children are almost out of college, but I'm woefully behind on my retirement and I'm scared to death that I could change careers because what if now I made the wrong decision? I'm making 250 and if I leave and I end up making 125, I can't live on 125, but I know I need 500. What does this person do? Yeah, so um, one of it is to get super honest. If your partner doesn't know that you're in that situation, like have an open money conversation, because this is where you can really get in touch with the why. The good thing is you move into your 50s and 60s is hopefully you stop caring so much about what other people think about you. <laughs> and maybe it's a decision, look, the kids are out of the house. This is wasteful to have this big house. No one's in any of these rooms. No one's ever in the basement anymore now that the kids aren't there with their friends. And maybe now's the time we can find somewhere we really love living, but that just costs less and that you start to really put your focus on, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that, yeah, maybe I love my job and I want to work till I'm 75, but maybe I don't want to worry that I have to. Yeah. So we might even start to liquidate some of that big stuff to suck equity out of it, to actually be able to get some of that fear put aside because now we actually have some liquid cash. Yeah. And I would say through all these ages, we haven't touched on this, but this is so core to feeling more prosperous and making a difference in the world. I believe at all these ages, part of your plan should be a giving plan. And I, this isn't like, um, like a religious guilt thing at all. Here's what I know. When you're hanging on so tightly to what you have, like you're grasping on because you're afraid you're not going to have enough, you're making fists you can't possibly receive and when you open up to be supporting causes or people maybe it's a family member in your life maybe it's um, some cause that's truly important to you it does a couple things it helps you feel wealthier they found through studies that giving a 500 charitable contribution changes your brain and it makes you feel as good as getting a ten thousand dollar raise it's called subjective wealth you think, oh, I must be wealthy if I'm able to give yeah. this much money. Mm-hmm. It makes you boost your happiness level. It has you appreciate what you do have. And so just like I'm sure um, that your listeners have heard of about the idea of paying yourself first, you take money off the top for savings. 
I suggest you set up a systematic giving plan. You take a percentage of your income, whatever makes sense for you, and just put it in a separate account to then be given to things that are meaningful to you and your family. I'm so glad you brought that up. It is the, it is the karmic return of the universe. Yeah. I have a guy in my office who, who um, I'll never forget. He's been with me a long time, 17 years. He helped me build this business. But I remember when he and his wife made the decision to tithe. Um, and his income just skyrocketed from that moment on. And of course, he's never looked back. It's also the same thing in, when my wife and I uh, took care of all of the bills for my brother-in-law in an effort to get him better. That was, that was probably... I mean, obviously, we had this dichotomy of, of the sadness of the sickness, but we had this amazing exchange of, of we want to be doing this for you. And, uh, you know, the universe provided. Uh, there was never a shortfall of, are we going to have to stop doing this, right? It was always, there was always more than enough to, to, to take care of him. And even the reason you wrote your book, to serve more people so they don't end up in that same situation um, that happened to your sister-in-law. Like that is a, um, there's a virtuous cycle that happens when you're out there trying to make things better for other people, it will flow back to you. And not necessarily from the same person. You're not looking for your sister-in-law to say like, okay, how are you going to send me business? but you know it'll come back yeah. from somewhere else. I think it's such an amazing uh, point. I'm so glad you came back to that because, of course, me, hard-driving guy, I really sort of missed it. I was looking for the, for the X's and O's on the whiteboard, and you brought back to the karma, but it's mission critical for people to get this. I love the example of if your fist is closed, you can't, not only are you not giving, but you can't receive anything either. I love that. So, Ellen, uh, let's tell the audience the best way to find you for more information about you, for speaking, for consulting, for, for to buy your book. Tell us where we can find yeah, you. Yeah, um, ellenrogan.com. That's E-L-L-E-N-R-O-G-I-N.com. There's all sorts of great stuff there and uh, some free resources, and I'd love to be of service if I can. So, Ellen, thank you for being on the show today. It was a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. I feel better talking to you because I was driving. So I just came out of a sales meeting before I jumped in here, too. I was driving so hard. And now I feel a little bit, uh, I feel like a, a, little, a little more zen from today. Awesome. So thanks for that, Ellen. I'll see you down the road. Thank you. You got it. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.